0: The Sunday school teacher was having a hard time connecting with the class that morning and so she decided to ask them an easy one. Boys and girls, she said, what's gray has a a bushy tail and stores nuts for the winter? Nobody said a word. They just looked at each other. Till Brave little Johnny raises his hand, and he says, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, <laughs> but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. Carl Medeiros uses that, book, that uh, story to open his book. It's titled Speaking of Jesus. He tells a story to illustrate how he thinks a lot of Christians feel about this idea or term evangelism. The the subtitle of the book is The Art of Not Evangelism. And I kind of agree with Carl, maybe you do too. I think a lot of us do feel like the kids in that class when we think about evangelism. Maybe too ashamed to speak up, unsure of our knowledge, embarrassed, so we just keep quiet. Or we're like little Johnny. We know that the answer is supposed to be Jesus. But we don't know how to say it without sounding silly or scripted. And so Carl says that he, he wrote this book for people like us. It's, it's a good book. I recommend it. Carl Medeiros is not Lutheran, but he's Christian. And so if you read it, have your, your Lutheran antenna up. But, but read it. It's, it's very good. Let me tell you about the author, Carl Medeiros. He is fluent in the Arabic language. He was raised in the Middle East. His parents are Americans. He was born in America, but they had government jobs over in the Middle East. And so he was raised there and educated in the school system, spoke the language. Later, he came back to the United States. He got married. And then he and his wife, Christine, moved to the Middle East. And their goal while they were there was to point people to Jesus. Now, they didn't describe themselves as Christian missionaries. And this was intentional because in the Middle East... That term, Christian missionary, has a lot of baggage that goes along with it. People hear Christian missionary and they think the West, the political and economic and military interests of Western culture, and especially America. And so a lot of Middle Easterners think that a Christian missionary is trying to get them to, to give up their culture and their heritage and their family and their language and become more like Americans and so it can be an offensive thing to be and often illegal to be a Christian missionary in that part of the world and so Carl and Christine said that they were just pointing people to Jesus and it turns out among Muslims Jesus is kind of a folk hero they they know about Jesus he's discussed in there in their Quran, and and they even like the stories of the Bible, the Gospels, They, they like hearing about the stories of Jesus, they like listening to the stories that he told, he's kind of a folk hero. And even if they're close to Christianity, they're surprisingly open to the man Jesus. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, it doesn't make them Christian. They don't confess him like we confess him as we're going to in the Nicene Creed, they don't confess that he's the Son of God. Crucified, risen, ruling, returning, for forgiveness of sins and new life now. They don't believe that, but they're kind of open to Jesus. And I think that there is something similar going on in our country now. We could call it post-Christian America. Where people are, are hesitant or suspicious or skeptical about the religion, Christianity, but they're open to the person, Jesus. To illustrate I'll share this with you, they, they did this independent survey at a shopping mall in Boulder, Colorado. They went up to 50 different people in the shopping mall and they said the following, Hey, we're taking an independent survey and we wondered if you had a second? Yeah, it's about religion in America and we wanted to get your thoughts on Christianity. What do you think the results were? <laughs> it's Boulder, Colorado, remember? Fifty out of fifty people said negative things about Christianity. They even had to bleep out some words in the documentary they were making. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't like to hear it. People got visibly upset talking about the religion, Christianity. But it is, it is the stronghold of secularism in our country. Same shopping mall though. They went up to fifty other people and they said the following, hey we're taking an independent informal survey and we wondered if you had a second. Yeah, we wanted to get your thoughts on Jesus of Nazareth. The results? How many people there you think in Boulder, Colorado said good things about Jesus? Like half or maybe less than half? No. 50 out of 50 people said positive, praiseworthy things about Jesus of Nazareth there in the shopping mall in Boulder, Colorado. Again, and it doesn't make him Christian, but it does make a point. Maybe you and I don't have to feel weird about talking about Jesus in public, in our everyday conversations. Carl Medeiros, the author of that book that I mentioned, Speaking of Jesus, he says one of his favorite things in the world to do is to invite Jesus into dinner conversations. Now, if you could imagine the most uncomfortable dinner conversation to invite Jesus into, it's this one. Carl and his wife were living in the Middle East. They got to know this doctor who was a Muslim... And the doctor invited them to a fancy dinner that he was giving for some of his closest friends. It was in a downtown Skyrise fancy restaurant in Beirut, Lebanon. It cost the doctor $3,000 to put this dinner on. And in attendance, his friends, there were, there were members of the Lebanese parliament and oil tycoons and entrepreneurs. And everybody in the room was Muslim, except for Carl and his wife. And the doctor said that he wanted each guest to stand up around the table and introduce themselves and say a few words to the other guests. And it just so happened that the third person he came to around the table was Carl. Carl stood up, he thanked the doctor for his generosity, and he said to the group, I am so grateful for the opportunity to live in your community. You all have taught me so much about Jesus. So that Jesus has become the most important thing to me in the whole world. And then he sat down. <laughs> and you never guess what happened next. Every person around the table felt obligated to say nice things about Jesus in their comments, too. <laughs> and they're driving home that evening, and, and Carl's wife says to him, Have you ever seen anything like that in your life? He said, No, never. And I don't know if it was peer pressure or just wanting to be polite, but the point is, 30 Muslims stood up in a fancy restaurant in downtown Beirut, Lebanon, and they praised Jesus, our Jesus, in front of their friends. But it doesn't make them Christian, right? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. I want you to imagine that I have a large dry erase board up here on front uh, uh, a whiteboard, and I've got my dry erase marker and right in the middle of the board I'm going to draw this symbol the symbol for Jesus Christ Cairo like on your altar here we'll say that that symbol represents the person Jesus Christ and then I take my dry erase marker and I'm going to draw several little dots around Jesus in the center and some of the dots are closer to Jesus and some of them are further away And we could say that each one of those dots represents a human being, a human life. And then we might ask, well, which ones are close enough to Jesus and which ones are too far away? To answer the question, we could take our marker and draw a circle around Jesus. And we could say that there, the people on the inside of the circle are close enough to Jesus. And they are Christian, they're right with God, and they're saved. And the dots on the outside of the circle are not. Now, the division that we just made there between human beings is a real division. The Bible talks about it in a lot of different ways. The division is real because here's the truth. You and I are either pointed toward Jesus or we're pointed somewhere else. We're either trusting in Jesus or trusting in someone or some other false god. As as the brothers over here are saying, we're either holding on to the rock or we're sailing a sinking ship. We're either standing on the rock or on sinking stand. There's no middle ground. The division is real. But here's the thing. You and I don't get to draw the circle we don't get to draw the circle because this is what Jesus does in in the New Testament he will reveal that sometimes the person who appears to be very far away from him Jesus will reveal that actually they're in the right with him they trust in him and then you've got these other people who are in the inner circle who appear to be very close and what is what does Jesus reveal about these ones the ones who know all the answers and have studied the catechism and come to worship Jesus will sometimes reveal that they in fact are not right with Him. The division is real, but you and I don't get to draw the circle. So, what if we thought about it in a different way? What if uh, we just erase the circle for now and we said that each one of those dots on the board has an arrow. And we'll say that that arrow is the, the, their life's direction, their orientation, and they're either oriented towards Jesus in faith and hope, trusting in Him for all good things now and for eternity, or they're trusting in something or someone else. And then, if we thought about it like that, we could say that, that this word that we discussed at the beginning, evangelism, it just means good newsism we could just say that evangelism is living a life that points to Jesus and pointing others to Him as well, no matter how close they appear or how far away. Evangelism is just about good news. And and for Christians, for us, the followers of Jesus, the good news isn't just a what. It's not just knowledge. The good news for us is a who. Jesus is good news. Crucified and risen, ruling and returning, his character, his accomplishments, his intentions for us, that's good news. His intentions for all, that's good news. And so, evangelism is simply pointing to him. I have a friend named Katya. Katja grew up watching things, seeing things happen in her city that no child should ever have to see, kinda like the children in Ukraine these days. Katja grew up in the Middle East, like Carl, but she was born there and her parents are from there and when she was a girl her country was torn apart by warfare. She remembers her brothers and her father moving 50 gallon drums in front of their house and filling them with sand to form a barricade to protect their home from bombs exploding in the street. Katja says, I saw people do things to each other that no one should have to see. I saw people use their God given talents and gifts and, and abilities to, to terrorize and harm and kill each other. She said, The things I saw in humanity made me wonder about the world and about people. When she was 12 years old a friend invited her to come to see a film called the Jesus Film. was a story about Jesus of Nazareth based on the events of the Gospels and the New Testament. Katja had heard about Christ before but she'd never heard his story. She'd never heard about Jesus. So she came and watched this film and she tells me You know, years later when I talked to her, she said, I fell in love with Jesus. I'd never met anybody like Him. The people that I knew, the fighters in the street and the corrupt political leaders, they used their power for their own advantage to hurt people, but Jesus used His power to to help and to heal and welcome children and to forgive. I'd never met anyone like Jesus, she said. And I fell in love with Him. Then the story goes on. And she, she sees and hears how, how he was betrayed, how he was ridiculed and mocked, and they put a crown of thorns on him and they nailed him to a cross and mocked him. And Katja's watching this and she doesn't understand, she doesn't get it, she's, she's mad. She says, why are you letting them do this to you, Jesus? You're so powerful you could destroy them all with the puff of your breath. And one of the leaders there sees all this going on on, in Katja's face and and he says to her, Katja, what's wrong? And she says, I don't understand why he's letting them do this. Why doesn't he do something? And he told her, he did this for you. for, For all of us to save us from our sins. And he rose from the dead so that you can live with him in God's family forever. She told me, I had seen people in their hatred and selfishness harm and terrorize each other, but it was the first time in my life someone ever told me that Jesus died for me because He loves me. She remembers that moment. It, it transformed her life. The saving message of the Gospel transformed her. She prayed, Jesus, use me. Use me for wherever you want. Take my life. I want to serve you. Do whatever pleases you. Flash forward, 21 years old, Katja starts working for a Christian outreach organization based there in her country, in the Middle East. It's called Lutheran Hour Ministries. See, Lutheran Our Ministries has a different kind of ministry model. We don't send Christian missionaries from America over to foreign places. We identify and engage and equip local people, volunteers, followers of Jesus, to point other people to Him right where they live. Watch this video about Lutheran Hour Ministries.
1: There are billions of people around the world who've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. That's billions of fathers, mothers, children, grandchildren, close friends from all walks of life who've yet to experience the transformative power of our Savior. How can we reach these people when we may not even speak their language? How can we understand their cultures so our message makes sense in their context? With the goal of connecting with the greatest number of the world's unreached, Lutheran Hour Ministries has developed a unique approach. An approach from the inside out. While many ministries send missionaries to foreign countries, LHM lifts up and equips local staff and volunteers who know the language and understand the culture. As local people, they understand the linguistic and cultural nuances that are essential to effective and accurate communication, especially when it comes to something as important as the life-transforming message of the gospel. With billions still waiting to hear the messages of hope and love provided by the gospel, our work is far from done. As we navigate a shifting world culture, We know the saving message of Jesus Christ does not change, but the way we share it does. To be effective, LHM must continue to assess and change as needed to meet the challenge of reaching people worldwide with the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: With billions still waiting to hear the life-transforming messages of hope that come from the gospel of Jesus Christ, our work is far from done, he said. There's people who live in this area who don't know Jesus and who are never going to listen to Pastor Mike on the radio, on Pastor Sean's boombox. Or, or on an iPad or, or in their car. They're just never going to come across the message that I speak every week. There, there are hundreds of people. There, there are people that you know who don't know Jesus who are probably not going to even come here to hear Pastor Carl or Pastor Sean speak of Jesus. But you are there, you're called. That's, that's our hope and that's our vision at Lutheran Our Ministries. It's not just one voice speaking to a million or however many that is, but millions of followers of Jesus, each speaking to one. That's what Katja's doing in her context. And it's, it's not just with words, it's with actions. Words and actions. She's pointing people to Jesus. Here's how. Kacha, in, in her at the ministry site located there with Lutheran Our Ministries, in her country most of the ministry lately has been basic human care. There's been refugees. The wars have shifted in the Middle East, and now her country has experienced an influx of about a million refugees in the, in the recent years. And so much of what she and the other volunteers at Lutheran Our Ministries there is provide simple basic human care. They come sometimes with nothing but the clothes on their back and they just tangibly show the love of Jesus by their actions and also sometimes by their words. I learned this about Katja a few years ago. She and I had a Zoom call. And I could see tears welling up in her eyes when she talked about how the love of Jesus has transformed her life. And now she's seen Muslim children, Muslim women, Hear the story of Jesus and and turn to Him. She inspires me. She's my sister in Christ and I want to be like her. Would you join us? Would you be a part of this mission? Maybe you feel like the kids in the Sunday school class. And you, uh, you, you don't feel qualified. Feel a little weird about speaking up speaking of Jesus it's okay I've got good news for you Jesus is really good at working with people who feel unqualified who don't know what to say who feel weird about what they're doing he's really good let me, let me illustrate I'm going to conclude by illustrating just how good Jesus is at this I'm going to pick up the story right after the gospel reading that Pastor Carl read for us it's from John chapter 1 Remember, John the Baptist is standing there and he's pointing people to Jesus. He's saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the very next day, John's standing there again with two of his disciples and he sees Jesus walking by and he says, Look, the Lamb of God and the two disciples followed Jesus. Jesus, turning and seeing that they were following him, says to them, what are you seeking? They say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he says to them, come and see. And they went with him and they followed him and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now one of the two disciples who had heard what John said about Jesus and followed him was Andrew. Andrew the brother of Simon Peter. And the first thing Andrew did was to go and find his brother Simon and say, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw Simon, he said, you are Simon, son of John. From now on, you will be called Cephas, which means rock, Peter. Now the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and finding Philip, he says to him, Follow me. Now Philip, like Simon and Andrew, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip went and found Nathanael and says to him, We have found the, the one that Moses wrote about in the law. And the one about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus, from the, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. And Nathanael says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? And Philip says, Come and see. And Jesus, seeing Philip, uh, seeing Nathanael approach, says, Now here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. And Nathanael says to Jesus, How do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you before Philip called you while you were still sitting under the fig tree. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I said I saw you sitting under the fig tree? (laughs) I tell you, you will see greater things than that. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Carl Medeiros, the author of that book that I mentioned, he says it like this You and I have an unfair advantage. We know the Creator. We're friends with the King. We know the truth and we know His name. Other people have to defend and explain isms and ologies. We're simply pointing people to our friend. Amen?
1: Amen.